I'm Cesar Rubio, five-time past master of Palm Springs Laws number 693, and this is Masonic Muscle, where we focus on the strongest aspect of Freemasonry, a virtuous education of the mind, fortifying it with wise and serious truths, encouraging all brethren to increase their level of fitness one degree at a time, making exercise and study a cornerstone of your daily routine, because Freemasonry is work. When you put in the work, get closer and closer to the point within the circle. Masonic Muscle, we give you more light, but no light weights. We're here to pump you up, body, mind, and soul. Yeah, welcome back. I have a real quick favor to ask you before we get started here. And that is simple. You've been hearing it before. If you've been enjoying the Masonic Muscle Podcast, I'd really appreciate if you took one minute to give me a review on either iTunes or Spotify. It helps me out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you so much. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or a family member you think would get something out of it. But more importantly, a Mason. Spread the word. Word of mouth is a primary way Masonic muscle grows and spreads. So please share, text a friend, send out an email, however you communicate. Tell them to check it out. Because we're going to do it. All right. So anyhow, there goes my phone. I don't know what the hell is going on. I've been absent for a little while. Things got kind of hectic. Sorry about that. I promise to get back in the groove here and to give you some bonus material to make up for the absence. I hope you enjoy it, what I have planned. So I've been actively working, diligently working. Um, putting some material together, getting some interviews together from people that you've already heard on the show in the past and people you haven't heard and just sharing my stuff as well. What I wanted to share with you today was something I've been meaning to share with you for a while ever since I heard the Joe Rogan podcast number episode 1897. It's with Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson and I've been following Graham Hancock ever since I bought the book Fingerprints of the Gods and then later on I bought The Sign and the Seal which is where I began to read more and more about the Freemasons, the Rosicrucians, some secret societies, Enoch, the Lost Ark of the Covenant, Knights Templars and then just connecting these dots and making me wonder what what this was all about. But recently, in episode 1897, he said some things that really resonated within me because I've been sharing this message with my brethren and friends when we have conversations and then the conversation turns into something deep or something important in our everyday lives. Most of the times that's politics. But when it comes to politics, I tell them the same thing that I'm going to share with you right now. And that is that 
when we talk about politics, most of the time, everyone is just talking from what they just heard on Fox News or C-SPAN or CNN or one of those channels. So you're not really putting much effort other than what you're listening to. And then you go work, you go to work, you come back, you've been thinking about it. And that's, that's your only point of reference. You don't really dig into it. You don't go into some source documentations. You don't go into the archives and you don't do research because it takes time. So you would rather allow the experts to tell you what to think. And this is like our school system too does that. It teaches us to do that. So I, I can't fault you. I can only fault you up to a certain point. So in this podcast episode, which is pretty deep, I mean, every time he's been on there, Graham Hancock, it, it's always a joy because he brings it. And he talks about his own experiences traveling around the world to these ancient sites that he actually went to experienced for himself like I recently went to Chichen Itza and then Tulum and saw those ruins for myself so now I have a completely different perspective but let's get to what he said and he didn't take long within 20 minutes he drops this one on us he says the experts know a great deal I couldn't do anything I'd do without the work that the, that the archaeologists do, blah, blah, blah. But they shouldn't be given a monopoly over the story of the human past. Our past belongs to us. It belongs to all of us. And everybody, whether they're an academic or the man on the street, they've got something to contribute to the idea of our past. This is what I've been telling even our brethren at Lodge. When it comes to the mysterious origins of Freemasonry. This belongs to all of us. And everybody has genius. We all have the genius gene that's waiting to be activated, that's waiting to have the platform so that it can express itself. Later on, in minutes, beginning on minutes 40, he drops this on us. He expands on what you just heard 20 minutes before. And he says, there are so many forbidden areas of our past which have been forbidden by the experts, by the so-called experts, authorities, which gradually, in the new mindset of the 21st century, we are breaking through. I think what's special about our time, my... You know, my goodness, it's a time of turbulence, a time of difficulty. We are living through a paradigm shift. And that paradigm shift has to do with our attitude to the so-called experts. Yes, there is a place for experts. Of course there is. But they shouldn't be given sole control over any area of the human story. And what's happening now is that people distrust experts. And they rightly and properly distrust experts. Because again and again... The experts have misled us. And this is true with psychedelics and it's true with the study of the ancient past of the human species as well. 
It's absurd that a small group of academics called archaeologists should literally hold the keys to the whole human past and tell us, lecture us, and instruct us on how human beings were in the past. There's so much more room for deep exploration on this. And for people who aren't academically qualified to roll their sleeves up and get some work done. How about that? He's saying that we can do it as well. We don't have to have all those titles. We don't have to spend 10, 20 years at some university to be able to roll up our sleeves, buy a bunch of books, begin to read them, understand what it's saying, go toe-to-toe with the mind of the author who put that book together, who put his ideas down. And now we have the opportunity to actually converse with that author, read his thoughts, and digest them for ourselves, and say, yay or nay. And then, wait a minute, let me, let me check up on this, and let me see how accurate that is. Now, in the coming days, weeks, and months, I'm going to be putting together some episodes. Um, I'm going to be interviewing some people that, like I said, you have heard already in the past, some people that you haven't, and I'm going to be having other people that you haven't, to talk about the Masonic experience, to talk about things, all things Masonic, to see how strong their Masonic muscle is. Because I think more and more of you are beginning to realize that it's not so much the physical aspect of Masonic muscle. It's hey, the more we understand what Freemasonry is and what Freemasonry isn't, the stronger your Masonic muscle is. That's right. Now, if you rewind what I just read, and then you... <clears throat> put in wherever they talk about experts, academia, and you put in Masonic scholars, Masonic archaeologists, then you get a better idea of what I'm driving at. There's so much information out there. And for the longest time, even if you go back to the early 1900s and you get a hold of certain Masonic books, they flat out tell you, how many thousands of books have been written on Freemasonry? And even the enemies of Freemasonry, the Catholic Church and some other governments, make mention of how many thousands and thousands, 40,000, 50,000, 100,000 books have been written about every single aspect about Freemasonry. If it wasn't so important and it wasn't so powerful, then why would so many books have to be written about it and you have to think about that you have to try and grapple with that and wonder why and over the years I think in an effort to try and get away from what might be the answer the organization began to pivot whether you know in concert or subconsciously and began to deflect that attention. And how? Well, by 
all of a sudden making it into a charitable organization. Wanting to make people believe that it's a charitable organization. Or that it's just a uh, volunteer organization. That there's really nothing to it. And as we know, as we study history, and I believe it was Plato or Socrates that said that there has been no known government that has ever survived longer than about 200 years. Within the Egyptian empire, they had different types of governments, and I think the one that really uh, got a stranglehold on the Egyptian empire was the theocratic government. But even that survived only for a certain amount of time. And then another government was superimposed on that or just, you know, completely wiped out. But then you have to go back to what uh, Albert J. Nock in his book, Enemy, The Enemy of the State, says. And he says that what happens is not really that another government is put in place. Whoever takes control of the governmental reins begins to see where they can benefit from what's already in place and then just give it the look of something else. And then you create this rhetoric around it to make people believe that it has changed when in reality it has not. Now going back to what I originally shared about Graham Hancock, and some of these gems that he dropped on people, on us, on that podcast, on the Joe Rogan podcast, episode 1897, when he came out with Randall Carlson, they talked about a bunch of new discoveries about Graham Hancock being correct in his theory that something catastrophic happened in our past that wiped out humanity and that a couple of survivors after the cataclysm came out and were in charge of restarting civilization, but they had tools. They had certain access to technology that helped them get there. And hence we have these megalithic structures. We have these remnants of some type of technology that the ancients had that allowed them to not only survive but thrive once again. And the way that this past was kept alive was through myth. And they combine myth and history and it's a myth history. And he, he also talks about the importance of myth, that it's so important because within the myth, there's, there's some elements of truth that are preserving what really happened. And once you're initiated into how to understand the myth, then you understand. So part of the mystery behind even that is that many cultures around the world have these initiation rites and then they initiate you into 
their information, their past, but it's through myth and hist and myth and legend. And most of the times it's been so far so long ago that they have even forgotten what it really means. But the basic facts and structure and everything is still contained within the legends and the myth. That's how powerful this technique is. And now if you apply that to Freemasonry and we're going through these degrees and we have Anderson's Constitution and you read them, which again, Anderson's Constitution is come, coming under new light. It is being researched under the myth history you know, subtitle. And we're beginning to understand what these men that, I guess you can say, reinvigorated Freemasonry and reinvented it in 1717 by forming that Grand Lodge, how they saw the world. And a lot of it was through this myth history. So obviously they were studying some books. They were studying some type of traditions. They had access. And remember, these, these were the people that can read and write. So they had some means. And if you have some means, you have access to information that not everybody has. And this is before the Revolutionary War. This is before Declaration of Independence. You're talking 1717. 1723, Anderson's Constitution comes out. He revises it in 1738. It comes out again. It's expanded. I, I just got my copy recently and it's it's like double or triple the size of the original Anderson's constitution so they he had access to a bunch of information a bunch of knowledge and he's writing it down the way he understood it the way they understood it I believe and so there were some kind of underground hidden tradition that they were propagating in their own way and recently I just I heard a podcast where Robert Lomas came out and I wrote it down somewhere in my notes so that if uh, you want to look it up. And I, I consider Robert Lomas, he's kind of like the Graham Hancock of the Masonic past. He does the same thing and he's, he's digging up old documents, old books, bringing it to light bringing up to light old battles between the Grand Lodge of England and, and anybody else who is contrary, believes contrary to what they want to promote. It's very important to get a hold of and listen to and be aware of it. But he came out on a podcast years ago and he made mention that In 1717, when those older lodges got together and they formulated or they reinvented, I believe, Freemasonry and they created a Grand Lodge, a week later, those same Masons, they got together in the same tavern and reinvented the Order of the Druids. Let that sink in. And now, ask yourself, is there some kind of secret traditions going on within the craft? 
How about that? So again, superimposing the words, and I'll, I'll look it up. I'll find it. I thought I had written it down, and I probably do. I just I'm not seeing it. But um, as I was as I was listening to it, I was like, "Whoa, man!" You know, that's something that I had been thinking about, but I had just never heard anybody say it. So maybe I should reach out to him. I should listen to that podcast again, all of it. Take my notes, tell them what I heard, invite them on, and have a conversation. He's one of the authors that helped write the Hiram Key and all those books in that line. Uh, Christopher Knight and Robert Lomas. That was, that's their names. Uh, one of them broke off and started writing his own uh, books on masonry. Robert Lomas went in his own direction. I think they're still friends. I think they're still brothers. Uh, they just wanted to write and focus on different aspects of masonry. And so that's what happened. So anyhow, let me, let me read this to you again. What Graham Hancock said on the Joe Rogan podcast, episode 1897. And uh, beginning on minutes 40 20, with 26 seconds. And he says, one of the things he says is, it's absurd that a small group of academics called archaeologists should literally hold the keys to the whole human past and tell us, lecture us, and instruct us on how human beings were in the past. There's so much more for deep exploration on this. And, and also for people who aren't academically qualified to roll up their sleeves. That's you, brethren. That's us. Roll up your sleeves. And get some work done. Because guess what? We all have something to contribute, like he said in minutes 20. He said, the human past, the story of the human past, our past, so the story of the Masonic past, our past, belongs to us. It belongs to all of us and everybody whether they're an academic or the man on the street, so whether you're a Masonic scholar or the Mason on the street, you've got something to contribute to the idea of our Masonic past. Let's do this, brethren. Begin to write in. Begin to do your research. Scroll through the Internet. Get on those search engines. Begin to... Figure out how to type in keywords to look for documents relating to Freemasonry's mysterious origins, origins of Masonry, the links between the ancient mystery schools and Freemasonry, the Knights Templars, and everything in that realm. And let's share it. Come on the show. Share your findings. Let's talk about it. Let's help our brethren understand the origins of our mysterious past, where we come from, and how maybe this can help us understand where we should be going. Because I don't believe the way we're going right now, I don't think this is going to be sustainable. If you've been paying attention and if you've been following any lodges on 
Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. There's a whole lot of activity going on. But the one thing I don't see is a whole lot of activity of those Masons within the Lodge exploring the mysterious origins, the symbols of Freemasonry together. Starting with your worshipful master leading these groups, your senior warden, your junior warden, the people, the Masons whom you see as your leaders and the ones who are supposed to be drawing designs upon the trestle board to help you understand why you even got initiated, passed, and raised should be the ones who are putting all this together and sharing their knowledge with you. And I believe that if that begins to happen, and then even if they, if the master doesn't have that capacity, but that he has the capacity to find the one that does and put him to work, I believe that lodge is going to get a whole lot stronger and a whole lot more attractive to the members that are there. And now they're going to have a reason to want to go. Because they are finally receiving good and wholesome instruction. Think about it, brethren. And start trying to figure out how to get this done and make it happen. These strong sessions are calculated to inculcate in the mind of the novitiate the importance of subduing our passions and improving ourselves in masonry feeding the attentive ear with the sound of the instructive tongue, endeavoring to add to the common stock of knowledge and understanding, effectively spreading the cement of knowledge and wisdom, and hopefully some good will towards exercising. Get out there and get your walking in. Open up your ciphers. Study, memorize, and just do it.